This is the Metal Morgue, dissecting the best and worst horror movies and music that rock with your host, Dr. Gang Green. Hey guys, we have Bill Lindsay, the lead singer of the band Impaler, the guy who's been doing shock rock since the 1980s. Bill, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, brother? Doing great. It's good to talk to you again. Good to be talked to. <laughs> it's been a few years since I've seen you in the flesh, so to speak, although we stay in touch on the on the internet. Yeah, we do. Been doing good. Missing Nashville. Yeah, we got to get you guys back down here for sure. Absolutely. So uh, give me a little bit of rundown of what you guys have been up to. I understand you've got some new music in the works. Yeah, well, we've been writing and recording um, kind of downtime over the holidays, and uh, we started doing some recording shortly before then, you know, in the, in the, in the fall. Uh, we have four songs that are in the can right now, which are just still playing with the mixes and, and getting those right. But uh, we've got Stiff in her casket, which we've previewed on our Facebook page. You can, uh, if you have Facebook and you go to the Impaler page, you can find uh, that track and listen to it. Oh, cool. Um, and then we have uh, Cruel and Unusual, which is about uh, twin serial killers. And then we have uh, Creature in the Thigh-High Boots, which is kind, <laughs> of a, kind of a sexy monster song. Nice. And then uh, Point of Impact. Cool. So um, last album, Cryptozoology, was a definite theme album. Is there a theme to this one? Well, no. I think this one is going to be more of a traditional album with just uh, songs that are separate entities onto themselves. Uh, you know, since we just did a, a themed album, maybe do a traditional one this time out. Right on. Um, although, you know, um, some of the songs are still kind of in the works and there could be like maybe a little three song theme you know story or something like that that we could work in there yeah uh, we're writing a song too about uh krampus which might be a impaler uh, christmas single some say he is the origin of santa's naughty list others contend he's a remnant of pre-christian beliefs the horn god of pagan religions whatever his background krampus remains a figure of fascination and wicked fun in the Christmas celebrations of the European Alps. Krampus was said to have travelled with Santa Claus as the jolly elf made his way on Christmas Eve, delivering presents to good little children. However, if a child had been bad through the year, Krampus would deliver punishments and misery. Beating a child with twigs, pulling off their ears, and in extreme cases, shoving them in a basket and carrying them off into the night. This is how Krampus operates. I don't know if you're familiar with who Krampus is, but... No, I don't know that. Is that a legend of some kind? Yeah, it's the old um, pagan interpretation of uh, Santa Claus. He had this demon sidekick, hairy horned dude that, that would go around with Santa Claus, so it's got like these pagan roots, but it's pretty uh, impalerish, you know? Yeah. I suggest you look it up, uh, Google it, and it's pretty interesting. I'll do that. I think every band needs to have a... a uh, every horror band needs to have a, a Christmas theme song yeah yeah so that's going to be ours uh for the coming uh 2012 season maybe that'll make the album too i don't know if we'll just release it as a like a seven inch a special seven inch for the holiday or uh or if we'll include it on the album but that remains to be seen but that's something else that's in the works very cool i like it 
Uh, so let's let's give our listeners a little bit of uh, history about you guys. We're going to go all the way back to your start, 1985. I guess you started in 80, a couple of years before that, though, in 83. Yeah, 1983. Yeah, and uh, your first big album, the one that got you uh, some notoriety and, and controversy, is uh, Rise of the Mutant. because our, our intention from the get-go was to be an original band, uh, write out the majority of our own songs, and, and um, have a stage show and theatrics, and, and be uh, original as opposed to uh, a cover band, which was pretty big back in the 70s and early 80s. Mm-hmm. A lot of bands playing what was big on the radio, and we always wanted to write original music. We recorded demos. Yeah. And, and uh, the demos caught the attention of Important Records, which is a big distributor that used to be in New York. And uh, they had uh, a couple labels that they ran out of their distribution business. And uh, it was Combat Records, and they had IRD. We sent them our demo and a mock-up of the album cover that we wanted to do. And they said, well, we'd like to put this out. So that's how we ended up getting signed to Combat. Awesome, and you were doing the shock rock theatrics right from the start, weren't you? Absolutely, yeah. When we formed the band, that was the basis that all of us agreed that we'd play original music and that we'd have a theatrical presentation because we're all heavily into uh, you know, the old Alice Cooper group and uh, Kiss and uh, Plasmatics and you know, theatrical bands like that. And so then 1985, they decided that uh, heavy metal music was corrupting uh, corrupting the minds of the youth everywhere, and they had the congressional hearings, and lo and behold, Rise of the Mutants is, is one of the albums that they show there in Congress. In 1985, heavy metal music came under fire. Rock and roll, especially hard rock and roll, was due for its biggest public trial since the 1950s when the Parent Music Resource Center conducted congressional hearings to discuss the imagery, lyrics, and moral suggestions of heavy metal music. No band was safe, as the loudest kind of rock was attacked from every conceivable angle. I guess you couldn't pay for better advertising than that, could you? At that time, that was pre-MTV, you know, and cable television was just a, a couple of channels, you know, premium television. So all of the primetime TV shows, uh, like, well, even non-primetime, like Sally Jesse Raphael, uh, 2020, um, Nightline, The Donahue Show, all these shows uh, had Tipper Gore and the PMRC on their television shows, and they would always hold up and pay the rise of the mutants. I am talking about pervasive messages that are available to kids of any age that are explicit and violent. <laughs> Along with Twisted Sister and, and uh, Prince and Judas Priest and whoever else they deem to be uh, dangerous for children. What happened to the good old simple love song? I love you. That's, that's a good word to use. Nowadays, they have to write some sickness. It's just absolutely sick and bizarre, and I'm going to do my utmost best to try and stop it now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't buy that kind of advertisement because if, uh, if parents are, are against something, you know, and trying to forbid teenagers and pre-teenagers, don't listen to this generally they're going to want to check it out for themselves, you know. So Absolutely. It becomes taboo and, and makes it 
all that more enticing. Yeah. My opinion, anyway. And, um, yeah, we sold a lot of EPs. They had to repress that several times over. And then I, I know the next year, the movie Trick or Treat comes out, and uh, there the the character is uh, the main guy that played Skippy and Family Ties is, is flipping through the uh, flipping through his collection, and he owns Impaler. Yeah, <laughs> who would have thought we were Skippy's favorite band? Or <laughs> anyway. Raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? I guess. I did that by playing a record backwards. Sammy Kerr. He's a rock and roll nightmare. His fans won't let him die. He won't let them live. Trick or treat. Rated R. Starts tomorrow at theaters everywhere. That's right. Yeah, that was very cool, too. You know, those lot of, we were very fortunate in a lot of things that um, fell in our lap. You know, it just... Uh, opportunities that you can't buy that came our way and uh, we always seem to stir up controversy not even really trying that hard it just kind of fell in our lap all the time there's a religious group here called the Peters Brothers out of the Zion Church in uh, uh, Lake Elmo Minnesota which is pretty close to the Twin Cities and um, they got on a crusade to like the PMRC where they had a, a presentation called the truth about rock and they used to burn records, and they had slideshow that they'd go around to high schools and, and warn high school kids about the dangers of rock music. Ooh. And Taylor was a part of that presentation, too. These men come down here from New York and from Florida to, to find out my reasons on rock and roll music and why I preach against it, and I believe with all of my heart that it is a contributing factor to our juvenile delinquency of today. I 100% believe it. And they actually came to one of our shows and were reading the Bible to people out on the sidewalk and picketing <laughs> and, and uh, trying to save people at one of our shows in St. Paul. So that was really crazy, too. That's awesome, man. Dude, I would love for somebody to pick at one of our shows. Yeah, it's just the greatest <laughs> because, you know, it's just like, I don't know. Hey, if those guys hate it, then that means you're doing something right for sure. Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt honored in a way, you know. Like, <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I mean, they've they've been hating on all the good stuff, Alice Cooper, everybody for years. So, you know. Oh, yeah. You're in good company. I think they're just out and out sick people. I mean, and they're trying to make everyone else around them who, who listened to their music as sick as they are. So your last album, I wanted to talk about that for just a minute, Cryptozoology. You must uh, really be a big uh, crypto fan. Are there any of the mythos, Bigfoot, whatever, that you particularly really uh, dig, really enjoy reading, catching oh, I, I like all of it. I like all, any of the um, unsolved, unexplained things that take place in the world. You know, I just find it interesting. Ever since I was a kid, uh, on TV, Leonard Nimoy used to have a show called In Search Of back in the 70s. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I used to watch that real religiously. And there were um, paperback books out like uh, Stranger Than Science and Stranger Than Fiction, and they had all these different mysterious stories, you know, about uh, the Jersey Devil and things like that. And I was always just uh, fascinated and intrigued by it, and uh, I guess it kind of came out in that uh, 
in album form. <laughs> Good deal, man. Well, that's what you do. You take your inspirations and the things that, that really got you going, and you, and you channel it creatively. Yeah, I really thought that it was a no-brainer in a way. I was like, wow, I can't believe that someone hasn't done this before because there's all these different creatures and, and phenomena within this cryptozoology realm, and I could write a song about each one of them, you know, and, and do a whole album on it. And then, of course, Bigfoot had to have a trilogy because you have the Yeti and the Sasquatch and, you know. Right. Bigfoot. So, and Minnesota actually has ties to a Bigfoot uh in the song Minnesota Iceman, it's about, uh, it's a true story. And this was even on that Unsolved Mysteries with Stacy Keach had a story about it. It was um, this carnival barker that used to go around uh, the region here in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And he had what was claimed to be a Bigfoot that was encased in a block of ice. And it was so realistic that some scientists actually got involved and tried to get the Smithsonian to fund uh, a study. Evidently, there was a, a toe or a finger that had melted through the ice where they got a sample of, of the flesh and, and did some you know, lab work on it, and, and they were intrigued enough to pursue it. And then this guy and the Bigfoot just disappeared. They couldn't be found. Wow. Uh, you know, and different people had, had put out searches for them and, and tried to find this Bigfoot in the ice or the guy who owned it. December 16th, 1968. Dr. Bernard Huvelmans, a Belgian zoologist, stares deep into a block of ice. Inside a freezing tomb lay a creature, not quite human, not quite ape. Over a period of three days, he and science writer Ivan Sanderson examined the corpse in detail. Could this strange being have been the missing link science has searched for? And if it was, why did it disappear? Hey, you just never know. Maybe it, maybe it thawed out, came to life, killed the guy, and ran off. Well, the song Minnesota Iceman, I have my own theory on what happened. You know, that the religious right became involved because they didn't want to admit that there was a... a a link to the human race like that <laughs> that was out there and so they they had something to do with the disappearance of the Iceman. There we go. We come back full circle to Tipper Gore again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh hell yeah, maybe uh maybe you'll find that uh Bigfoot really digs uh impaler music so you guys can set up and play for him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> play well, for the whole tribe. Yeah, heck yeah, man. Well, dude, it's been awesome talking to you again. We got to, like I said, get you guys down here, maybe for the Hootenanny this year. Yeah, we're looking into it. I, I would love to. One of my favorite shows was over at the Springwater there in Nashville. Both times we had a good time, but I especially had a great time there. Well, hey, tell the rest of the guys in Impaler that I, that I you know, Dr. Gang Green said howdy, and we hope to see you guys soon. Doc, it's always a pleasure. Rock on. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion? These evil people have just got to be stopped. Ah!